we're going to do something a little different this morning for our time of prayer. Um, I want you to go ahead and get your Bibles now, and if you would, turn to Psalm 102. That's where uh, we're going to be for, for the majority of the morning. And um, what we're going to do is something we ought to do in our own prayer life, in our own prayer times, is uh, we sometimes don't know what to pray. We sometimes don't have the words. Well, we have a whole book <laughs> of words that we can use, and we can pray through psalms. So that's what I want us to do today. Um, so hopefully, if you've gotten to Psalm 102, I want to invite you to stand as we pray this time. You can um, read the words, or you can close your eyes and, and listen um, as we pray together. And uh, I'm going to be praying through Psalm 102. And the title of this psalm reads, A Prayer of One Afflicted, When He is Faint and Pours Out His Complaint Before the Lord. Let's pray. Hear our prayer, O Lord. Let our cry come to you. Do not hide your face from us in the day of distress. Incline our ears to you and answer us speedily in the days when we call. For my bones pass away like smoke and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop all the day. My enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and have thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O oh Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. You appear in your glory. You regard the prayer of the destitute and do not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Or that you look down from your holy height. From the heaven you looked at the earth, Lord to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who are doomed to die. That we, they, may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise, when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. But you have broken our strength in mid-course. You have shortened our days. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring 
shall be established before you. Amen. You can have a seat. We're in an eight-week series going through the book of Psalms called Worship Is. And understanding that worship is core to who we are. Every area of our lives is, is, is worship. We are worshipers by nature. And who or what we worship matters. Will it be the God of Scripture who has made himself known through Jesus Christ or something else or someone else? Worship is to be real life, life found in God's word. And we are to trust the God who gave us his word and who sent his son to be savior and king. And as we trust this king, we are to confess the awful truth that we have sinned against him. And we are to confess also that he is able to save, able to forgive, and he's willing to do both. And when we more truly see who he is and what he has done, we are to praise him. But how do we praise him? When that euphoric high of happy praise seems to come crashing down. You might have come in this morning and you came in happy, ready to be here, ready to praise the Lord. And indeed, Praise the Lord for that. And then you saw the title of the sermon. Worship is lament. And you might have wondered, Aaron, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? You lead us up, tell us worship is praise, and then you take us down. Worship is lament. And Aaron, you've been doing this pretty much all the series. First, it's trust real life, and then it's confession, and then it's praise, and then it's back down to lament. What in the world? I come to, be, I come to church to be built up, Aaron, to be encouraged. I don't want to deal with these things that are sad. I want those to stay out there. Why bring that stuff up? I'll tell you what you already know. Is life really like that? Is life one continuous euphoric high? No complaints, no worries, no fears, no troubles. Don't worry, the song goes. Be happy. Is that real? No one sinning and no one being sinned against. No natural disasters or calamities on the news. No babies crying. When we, when we who follow Jesus get together on a Sunday morning, we are to worship God and encourage each other in worship. But we of all people ought to be the most unhypocritical people when it comes to life and living. God is good and he does save. Praise him for that. And life on this side of heaven is a mixture of both wonderful good things and devastating lows. We might know that praise the Lord can come from our lips with wonderful things. 
But how about praise the Lord when the proverbial stick is shoved into the spokes of our life? What are we to do? As we prayed the word this morning, we're not to run away. We're not to stuff it. We'll come back to this, but I want to plead with you. Please, church, do not pretend like you left your troubles at the door when you came up these steps. This is where we are to meet with God and things do grow dim. The things of earth grow strangely dim, so the song goes. But they're still there. And God wants to deal with you as a whole person, not just part of you. We're here this morning to what? Worship. And we're here to worship even when instead of lemons, it seems like life has given us rotten eggs. How do we worship then? That's what today's passage is about. Worship is lament. So we read the text, but as we move into this and then take a closer look at it, we need a good definition of lament. So I'll confess, I'm not that creative. So the most helpful definition of lament that I found, um, and I'll recommend a few of these, but the most helpful definition of Lament that I found comes from a book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Mark Rogop, um, which I would highly recommend to you. Um, and please come talk to me if you, want, if you want to pick up a copy. I'll get you a copy. I'll, 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 I want to get this into your hands if, if I can. And he writes that lament is the honest cry of a heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. Lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart, wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. So today, let's not try to run from this paradox. Let's embrace it. So let's get into, let's get into the, the word this morning. The first principle that we need to see is that lament lays it all on God's table. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke and my my bones burn like a furnace. Lament lays it all on God's table. It hides nothing from God. All of it. And some of us in our hearts are going, all of it. And this kind of goes against the grain of some of the ways that we have been taught. Some of you might be thinking, well, I'm not a complainer. I'm not whine. Philippians 2 verse 14, I've read my Bible. Do all things without grumbling. And why does the title of this psalm, which is in the scriptures, by the way, that this one afflicted, when he is faint, and pours out his complaint, his lament before the Lord. Is this a psalm that records what not to do? No, far from it. Complaint. Is it okay to complain? Two quick principles about complaint from this book. First, notice who the prayer is to. It's not to your best buddies at the bar. 
It's not your girlfriends consoling you. This complaint is to God. Not just spreading the anger and the, and the trouble to everyone else. Though there is a time and place potentially for that. Second, let's pay attention to the tone of this psalm. Does it sound like anywhere in here that he gets vindictive and distrustful of God? Sure, he's distraught, but he's not cursing God. I want to recommend to you guys that you read the book of Job sometime. At the beginning of the book, Job is blameless. He doesn't sin with his mouth and doesn't sin with his actions. But somewhere, and if you read it, I think you'll find, kind of see where it happens. Somewhere, Job crosses a line with his complaints. And God, at the end of the book, holds him accountable for that. So scripture does not forbid complaining. But to the right person, to the one who can do something about it, to God. Scripture records that this guy lays it all out on God's table. He seems to be emaciated. He's unable to eat, suffering from loneliness, insomnia, persecution. Everything hurts. He cries at everything, utterly depressed. Now, maybe you don't have quite that list all at once. But I'm guessing some point in your life or some point in the future, you will have these. One of or more. And maybe you think, you look at this list and you will say, well, thank God I'm not like him. He's nuts. Is someone who describes the state of their life like this, is they, are they nuts? We're not supposed to, have to talk about how bad things are. We're supposed to talk about how great things are. Well, is he nuts? Let's really see. Hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. Let me ask this. If someone is verging on this level of hurt, if you in your life are verging on this level of hurt, struggling perhaps with this level of mental illness, mental health issue, is it crazier to stuff it or to go to the one who can help and ask him to help? No, not just ask, like almost knock down the door in desperation for him to help. Do not hide your face from me. Answer me speedily. No, what actually what is truly crazy is what so many of us try to do when we are hurting. We try to pick up the pieces of our wrecked lives on our own and try to put them back together with some form of human glue. We try to console people with saying horrible, horrible, I'll just play it out there, horrible sayings, time heals all wounds. You heard that one? Or just believe in yourself. Or making it spiritual, as one author said, the Lord must know he can trust you with this. (laughs) We dare to pretend that like nothing is wrong before God. 
No, this guy is not crazy. He's desperate, but he's doing the most sane thing in the world when he's in such a state. He is laying it all on God's table. He's coming to the Lord for help. And let me say, just to clarify, that God is not saying here that we should not seek help like counseling, mental health services, or outside support from friends and family. No, he can use those, and he often does. Many of you can bear witness to that. But the principle here is that God is the one being sought above all the others. And so what does that mean? We ought all to be lamenters. Things are wrong in this universe. Look at just the sorrows of this one guy. One man out of how many billion? His pain beats him up and it's eating him alive. Just one man. Now imagine a whole world full of hurt. One teacher said, we could not bear it. It would crush us to hear the sound of the pain and sorrow of this world that God hears. So I ask you, does it, if you are going through this, or if you're even if you're not, does it not break your heart to know that there is yet sin next door? That there's still sin in this city. There's still sin in this nation. There's still sin around the world. Does it not break your heart that there are yet rooms in your heart that you try to keep God out of, whether because of hiding from your sin or because of a sin that believes, well, I can talk to God about all sorts of stuff, just not that. If we do not lament, something is wrong. I want to recommend another book called a Praying Life by Paul Miller. Absolutely worth, worth it. He says, if your life is lament-free, you aren't loving well. To love is to lament, to let your heart be broken by something. And hearing all this, it's hard though, isn't it? Because when something is acknowledged to be wrong as not the way it should be, we want so desperately to try to fix it, but when we can't, we feel vulnerable. And pain in one's life, grief in one's life, the sorrows of others that we can't, we just, our hands are helpless, we feel vulnerable. And so it's hard. And when we're vulnerable, it, it, it seems to get worse. Verse 8, all the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride, deride me use my name for a curse. Not only is he going through a rough time, his, his enemies, his persecutors, add insult to injury. It makes it doubly hard to grieve before God where we are vulnerable both to, both to the active taunts of people who think that crying out to God is ludicrous and to the people who simply do not understand the process of working through pain with God through lament. But the writer brings this to the Lord also. And verse 10 
gives us an indication that this is not meaningless. Let nobody tell you that your suffering is meaningless. In this case, verse 10, because of your, who's he talking to? God. Because of your indignation and anger, you have taken me up and you have thrown me down. Is he accusing God of wrongdoing in saying that? No, he's not. He's already starting to work through as he points, as he looks to God, as he goes to God with his sorrow. That God has a purpose for him in his suffering. It's not meaningless. And we're not told if this guy sinned or not. So let's be careful of thinking, well, all this stuff happened because he was just a bad person. And so all the good stuff in your life happens because you're a good person? (laughs) No. No. He doesn't run away. He runs to God. Even though God has allowed this in his life. So you may be familiar with... uh, story of Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, 52 years ago, at the age of 17, Johnny suffered from a diving accident that broke her neck. She has since lived as a quadriplegic. And she actually wrote the foreword to this book, um, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. She said, when a broken neck ambushed my life and left me a quadriplegic, I felt as though God had smashed me underfoot like a cigarette. At night, I would thrash my head on the pillow, hoping to break my neck at a higher level and thereby end my misery. After I left the hospital, I refused to get out of bed. I told my sister, just close the drapes, turn out the light, and shut the door. My paralysis was permanent, and inside I died. We try to manage, like jugglers spinning plates on long sticks, When we feel utterly overwhelmed, we try soaking in the tub, sweating on the treadmill, splurging on a new dress, or heading to the mountains for the weekend. We smile and say we're trusting God, but deep down we know it's a lie. We're only trusting that he doesn't load us up with more plates. That's how I felt. But after weeks in bed, I got tired of being depressed. and I finally cried out, God, if I can't die... Please, show me how to live. Then she writes, It was just the prayer God was waiting for. Through our flood of tears, God is ready to do something greater. And that leads us to the next principle of of lament. We must reach for something greater. Lament looks at God's promises. This is key for lament. Otherwise, you're just, as Mark Vrogop says, you just stay sad. Lament is God's prescribed way of bringing your troubles to him. 
You don't just stay fixed on how bad things are. Stay fixated on yourself. Joni, Joni wrote her own book called When God Weeps, another one I want to recommend to you, saying reasons why don't ultimately satisfy. We are to look to something bigger. And the truth is, when we get to verses 12 through 22, you may have to fight to get to this point. But God's exhortation to you and to me this morning is that you should fight to get to this point. You should fight to look to his promises, fight to remember him, fight to see what he is doing and what he has done. Look how he, how he starts this section, verse 12. But you... Arguably the two best words in Scripture. But God, now personalized, but you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. God has not stopped ruling the universe, even though your troubles are many. Even though things seem to be falling apart. This is where you hold on to the second part of the paradox. There is pain in this world, but there is the goodness of God. And you remember what is true. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. Look at the promises lifted to him, lifted to God through this psalm. You will arise and have pity on Zion. Do you remember that Zion is where God is gathering his people? You will arise and have pity on Zion. Nations will fear the name of the Lord. Kings of the earth will fear your glory, for the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Now, it could be that this psalm was written after Jerusalem, physical Jerusalem, was destroyed by the ancient Babylonians. And this psalmist is writing and longing for his homeland to be restored. We don't truly know. But for him and the servants of God, even Zion's stones and dust, the rubble, were dear. So just a note, a question. Do we love God's kingdom that way? Do we desire that the suffering of our brothers and sisters around the world, in this room, in this city, end? God's plan has other nations fearing the name of the Lord as part of his plan to rebuild Zion. Will we look to the promise that the Lord builds up Zion? He doesn't leave it torn down. God does not leave his work in shambles. Including you. Come to him. He says, God regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise it. The broken, the hurting, the brought low. He does not despise your prayer. He does not despise my prayer. You know what he despises? The proud. The book of James says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Remember from our time, worship is confession. The psalmist prayed, Psalm 51, A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. He does not God never covers his ears to the prayers of his servants, crying, Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. 
Scripture records this even in poetry. This is a statement of fact. It's not a question. Does God regard the prayer of the destitute? Yes. In our struggles and sorrows, if we leave that question unanswered, the root of bitterness will take hold in our lives. He does regard the prayer of the destitute. That's actually why the psalmist is praying in the first place. He's banking on God's hearing his prayer. Why on earth do we pray? Why should we open our mouths and pray to the air? Let's pray to a person and expect him to answer. In verse 18, let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Do you think generations after this psalmist needed to remember how to crawl through the madness of this life? You bet we do. Do you think we needed to remember how to praise God when everything just seemed to be wrong? You bet we do. Romans 15, verse 4 from the New Testament explains the psalm to us. He said, the Apostle Paul writes, For whatever was written in former days, this psalm, one being one of them, was written for our instructions, so that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. Hope. Hope here? When my days pass away like smoke, when I eat ashes like bread and mingle my tears with drink, hope? Yes, here. Do you know that our laments, our sufferings, are not just for ourselves? If we are in Christ, trusting him and his finished work on the cross, our sufferings are to be a memorial of his life in us. This psalm is not just about us serving as a witness, though, as we walk the road of suffering with God. And it's not just that this writer is suffering and walking that road, too. Look at, look, look at this. What is recorded for a generation to come, of whom we can say we are a part? Verse 19, that he, God, looked down from his holy height, from heaven, the Lord looked at earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who are doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. Church, do you know what's been recorded for us right there? The gospel has been recorded for us right there. In the midst of the worst time of this guy's life, the gospel has been recorded. Good news of great joy that the angel proclaimed over the broken land of Israel at the birth of Christ. God has not stayed far off. He has come near. He looked, he heard, and he set free. And he sets free today. He came down. So when your God takes human form and writes the book on suffering by being unjustly sentenced to the cruelest of deaths on a Roman cross, 
we need to know and remember how seriously he takes our plight. How seriously he takes our sufferings and the misery we can go through. Sin has broken this world. It has condemned us to death. A death that in our spiritual death we have turned anywhere but God to anywhere but God to try to escape. But he comes to set free. He does not come just to help us escape. When he sets free, he brings new life. He brings hope. He brings what? That a people yet to be created may what? Praise the Lord. Apostle John wrote in his gospel, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Freed to praise him. Freed to praise him when the peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. Those who were doomed to die from every tongue, tribe, and nation gather together to praise the Lord because they are alive. Because he came down and came near to set us free. So when we grieve, when we cry out in pain, when we suffer, we look to God's promises. In Numbers, verse chapter 21, when the ancient Israelites were in the wilderness, there's this really strange story. There was a plague that broke out among the Israelites because some of them were sinning. And God told Moses to do a really weird thing for a God who said that you shall make no graven images. And actually their sin was they had complained in the wrong way. They didn't think God could hold up his end of the bargain. Nevertheless, God says to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. They were being bitten by snakes and dying. So God says, Well, put us put a put a metal one up on a pole, and, and if they look at it, it'll be they'll be saved. <laughs> right? Weird. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. That happened in Numbers 21. It never happened again. And for thousands of years, the people of God, and maybe you have, wondered why in the world would God choose to heal and save that way? Until... The one in whom all the promises of God find their yes, their amen, shows up and says in John chapter 3, verse 14 through 15, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Lament looks to God's promises to his Son. Jesus. Now, if we were writing this psalm, we it'd be great to just end it there, wouldn't it? We might go on to put forward a belief that now, after the gospel has been proclaimed and every, drawn attention to it, that 
then this writer would have been would be healed, brought out of their problems, or anybody who hears this, they would be if they were sick, they'd be healed. If they were grieved, they wouldn't be sad anymore. If something bad had happened in their life, it would be totally reversed and undone. Well, we didn't write the book. God wrote it through a suffering man. And what he tells us is that it's not over till it's over. Number three, lament leans on God's character and work. He finishes this beautiful vision and proclaiming God's promises. And he feels he can make it. And this guy tries to take a step. And he, and he falls to the ground again. He cannot of his own strength make it. And neither can we. He has broken my strength in mid-course, verse 23. And he has shortened my days. Lament leans on God's character and work. We need God. The psalmist and we want all our problems to be taken care of in our lifetimes. Wouldn't that be great? He wants to see Zion rebuilt, freed prisoners from all nations, gathering together to worship the Lord, and himself restored to full health in his lifetime. But it seems that that might not be. This man may not have been healed. He may have died shortly after writing this song, not seeing the beautiful promises of God that he was called to retell. God does regard the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. But God gets to choose how to answer. And his answer might be, no, or not yet. And when it feels like we cannot go on another day with the crushing pain, God still may not say yes. But when he says no or not yet, you know what he also says to us in answer to our prayer? He says, lean Lean on me. Know who I am. And lean. When the days grow darker, you press harder into the Lord Jesus. <laughs> Many have accused Christianity as just a religious crutch for those who don't know how to cope. You ever heard that? Well, do you know what the lives of those who think they can cope look like? You were one once. I was one once. Maybe you are still there. Spiritually speaking, this is a person who is paralyzed from the neck down, who's talking a good game, yet totally unable to care for themselves, all the while they're saying they're fine as their body dies without them knowing. Sin has marred us so much that we not only need a new crutch, we need new life. And that's why this psalmist cries out to the Lord, the one whose years endure throughout all generations. He has life. 
He has more days than all the lifetimes of all the people who have ever, ever lived, who are living or whoever will be. So even as the psalmist does not get to see the promises he proclaimed, he leans on the right person. Will you lean on the right person today? Will you lean upon the Lord? And look, again, he doesn't just stay sad. He doesn't just stay in his misery. He grabs hold of the character and work of God and lives on God's life. Verse 25, Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away, but you are the same. And your years have no end. Who is God? <laughs> he has a name. In this psalm, it's the Lord. Maybe your version capitalizes that word. The, that word is the great I am from Exodus when he revealed himself to Moses. And who is the great I am? Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And this passage of this psalm, verses 25 through 26, or through 27, the writer of Hebrew quote, Hebrews quotes, and he says, God makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years have no end. Who is this God? Jesus Christ, the Lord. The one in whom we are to trust. The one in whom we are to have our faith. The one who saves. The one who does not pull us out of our circumstances, but stands with us in them. And leads us through. That's the psalmist's hope. That's the hope of the children of, of the servants of God and their offspring. God in the flesh. God may have answered to the psalmist's request to see these promises fulfilled in his lifetime. No. And he may have answered no to alleviate his suffering. But of his biggest problem, his separation from God because of sin... God has answered yes in Jesus Christ. I will not leave you there. I will take you out by my son's name. And here it is shown that Jesus is a more stable name than even the seats that we sit on, the ground that we walk on, or the sky above our heads. Life is given. Let us place and grow our hope in God who is more sure. 
God may have answered a temporary no, but an internal yes. This Jesus said to a grieving woman, that which is still true today, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. The children of your servants shall dwell secure, verse 28. Their offspring shall be established before you. Life is given, and it is given through the servant of servants, the Lord himself, who never changes. Worship is lament. But isn't it good that God gave us lament? That we can trust in the Lord God when things are all going wrong and he does not forsake us and we get to hold on to him no matter how rough the storms get. We're to lay it all on God's table, looking at his promises, leaning on his character and work. Do you see how necessary this is for our worship of God? If we are worshipers to the core, every area of our life being worship, no area is off limits, including our pain. He desires us as a loving father, as the saving son, and the fruit-bearing Holy Spirit to bring even the darkest parts of our lives before him and bring redemption out of ashes. He already knows your suffering and pain. He already knows every little detail. And that should give you hope because he already has hope for you today. Today, let us worship. Let us praise him by crying out for help. He has looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise when the peoples gather together alive and kingdoms to worship the Lord. 